The following podcast has been classified as insanely lucrative. Listener discretion is advised. The question you always need to answer is, how do I get ranked better? And I see a lot of people focusing on so many other things like... Your attention, please. please. Listening to the AMPM podcast may cause recurring revenue streams and unfair, unfair advantages over your competitors. Other side effects may include better wallets, fired bosses, and longer vacations. Listen at your own risk. Here's your host, seven-figure entrepreneur and online marketing madman, Manny Coates. Manny Coates. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the AMPM podcast. My name is Manny Coates, and I will be your host. And this is the show where we discuss all things Amazon private label related and how to generate recurring revenue streams 24 hours per day during the AM and the PM, hence the name of the show, AMPM podcast. As a matter of fact, I was laying in bed last night after a long day of work, and I was talking to my girlfriend and she has decided that she wants to get into the Amazon business after we started discussing the 2016 final results of my first year in business. And while we were laying there talking about what she wanted to sell, I was making money. How cool is that? Pretty cool, I think. So that's actually a true fact, guys. I was laying in bed, didn't finish up until pretty late. I think it was about midnight or so. And yeah, I was working with the suppliers that we have, Chinese New Year's coming up. If you're listening to this right away, then Chinese New Year's is just around the corner. And we're trying to get all of our orders in because one of our major suppliers is gonna be gone until the middle of February. And so by the time we can actually get our product ready to ship, it's gonna be the beginning of March. So essentially, if we don't get our stuff in now, we're gonna be getting products in sometime probably the beginning of April, right? When you consider the sea shipping and how long it takes to get out to an Amazon warehouse. So kind of in scramble mode because, you know, it could be the difference between having a $100,000 month and having a $200,000 month or maybe worse, a $50,000 a month, you know, right? So anyways, was late working on all of this kind of stuff and then went to bed. My girlfriend was still up and we had previously talked about you know, the results for 2016 and how I was kind of blown away at the achievements, I guess, that I had reached. And she had been talking about doing something part-time, you know, after her normal job. She has a pretty solid career, so she doesn't have a lot of time, but she's like, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in this particular niche. What do you think? And we started talking about it and it looks like she's going to do this. So this should be interesting. I typically don't like to work along with, you know, my significant other on this kind of stuff. I've done this in the past and I like that separation, right? So we can talk about what did you do at work and what did I do? And, you know, the last thing I really want, I guess, is for her to come home and then we're, you know, spending hours working on additional stuff. But at the same time, I'm excited because she's entering my field. So it's going to be kind of cool. So yeah, anyways, she's figured something out. She's going to be doing some research and hopefully I can report back on some of that progress and what's going on there in the near future. I don't know if it'll ever happen, right? But she actually this morning we're having a coffee and she said hey I've already started some research she got up about an hour before I did so she's excited about it so am I so should be I guess I'm sort of excited like I said I don't want to spend too much time working on stuff after hours I I like I like a little bit of our, our free time so we'll see we'll see what happens anyways today's episode is going to be an interview that we did a couple weeks ago actually it was Jeff Nelson he's a 100k plus seller and he's crushing it he's doing really well and he's got some nuggets to drop. 
We met on our Facebook group. If you're not a member of our Facebook group, definitely check it out, guys. 15,000 people in there. It's called the FBA High Rollers. So just type that in on Facebook, FBA High Rollers, and join us. And you can also ask questions to me and to Jeff if you have any questions after listening to this podcast. But definitely join us, please. It's a super active, if not one of the most active communities for Amazon sellers on Facebook right now. So anyways, without further ado, let's jump into this interview and get pen and paper ready. We're starting right now. Hello, everybody. I am here with Jeff Nelson. He's an Amazon seller, 30 years old on the outside of Los Angeles here. He's been selling for approximately 18 months and he's doing some pretty large numbers. Jeff, welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks so much. That's uh, really fun to get to do this. Yeah. So you, you got some big numbers here. Last time we talked, you said you guys were doing what over $200,000 in sales per month. Yeah. It's been really good for us. So, um, you know, it's a fun time right now to be an Amazon seller. For sure. So we're in December right now. How are the numbers treating you? So, you know, December, we're getting that December boost. So, you know, our numbers are in the 300 range right now. We don't have anything super gifty. So we didn't see those, you know, triple or four X numbers like some people report in the December, but you know, we have been up about 50%. So that's pretty neat. Cool. And this is over how many SKUs? Oh, that's a good question. We have quite a few SKUs right now. We have about 20 SKUs. I guess that's quite a few, quite a few for us. Yeah, that is a good number. So 20 SKUs, is that on one seller account? We have three seller accounts that we use. Three. Okay. Well, tell us about that. Cause a lot of people are always asking in our group, they're like, can I get a second account? Am I going to get in trouble? But you got three. I'd love to hear about that. Sure. I technically have one. I have a business partner who also has one. And then we got permission for a second one that we have combined um, for approval. So actually one of us has approval for a second, but then between the two of us, there's three accounts, if that makes sense. Okay. Do you find that there's any issues at all when you guys are, I mean, do you care about logging in through the same IPs and same location? Um, since we have the approval, we don't care at all. Actually, Amazon is set up to allow you to do that. So when I go in, um, since I'm approved, I'm a user on all of the accounts. I just have a drop down. I don't have to log out or log in. I just go to my drop down and pick one of my accounts. I've helped some other people in accounts. So I actually have, if I'm looking, I have seven accounts in my drop down that I can switch between. Oh my gosh, seven. Okay. So when you actually applied, did you have to tell them you were in a completely different category, something that's not competing? Yep. Yep. Um, we have completely different um, products that are not sold across the two um, accounts. And then we also have, you know, separate LLCs, uh, entities, uh, bank accounts, everything to go along with it. Can you be in the same niche as long as not the same product? Uh, as far as I understand, you can. Um, what I understood from talking to them is basically they don't want to see you um, trying to manipulate the system by listing it on this account and switching it back to another account and then, you know, having two accounts compete against each other or anything of that sort on the same basis. Right. So how close are some of your products between the accounts? Are they vastly different or do you have stuff that's pretty similar? Um, they're very different. Um, we kind of have focused you know, when we want to expand, say, a line with, you know, similar products, we keep it all to that same account. And then when it's another account, um, then we um, have it go to the other. You know, if it deals with that kind of account, we, it deals with the one. If it's the other, the other. They're not that combined. Hopefully our goal originally was we wanted to set up a lot of accounts and then each brand could be its own account. Um, so if we ever wanted to exit a brand or anything like that, it'd be really easy, but then found out Amazon doesn't really like to prove more than two. And then the bookkeeping would get really messy and the entities. And so that idea was very short lived. How long was the process to actually get that second account linked so that, uh, and get the approval? 
Uh, like five minutes. Oh, really? I'm talking about when you actually applied. Did you have to go back and forth with them for a while or no? No, he just called and we explained the situation and sent in the information and she said, okay, and we submitted it. And I think it was pretty soon thereafter. It might've taken a little longer than that because we did it, you know, well, you know, over a year ago, but I remember it being pretty, they even approved us for a third account and then found out later that they weren't supposed to do that. Somebody else said, oh, they should have never done that. So we were approved for a third, but we're not supposed to be. Uh, one thing is trusting Amazon reps is a little scary because sometimes they're, you know, minimum wage and they might say something that Amazon, you know, higher level isn't going to, they might say, mm, even though somebody told you that, that's not right. So you signed up for the account first and then called them and said, hey, I've got an account. I want to let you guys know about it. Or did you sign up after you told them? We signed up after we got approval. They said, okay, you're approved to have a second account. And then you just uh, sign up and then send them the information to link them and you're good to go? Yep. Yep. Cool. Awesome. So you said you have a business partner. Have you guys been partners on this the whole way through, all 18 months? Um, so yes and no. So we had that one joint account and we um, were working together. Plus we had our own separate accounts and everything. And then about three months ago, we decided let's combine everything and just go full force. Uh, because we were finding we were kind of splitting our time between our joint ones, our, um, our separate ones, who does what. And so we decided, let's just put everything together. And we just put all three companies together. And now we're, we're all together. But we started that joint one about 18 months ago. Okay. Is that $200,000 per month in sales? Is that from all of them combined or is that the joint one? Um, let's see. Well, uh, the 200,000 average was all of them combined. But now that main one with December being here, that 200,000 is just on our main one account. Okay. Awesome. All right. So curious, how did you guys get started in this? If you go back a year and a half, how'd you jump into Amazon? You know, as a, actually my brother-in-law, I heard about, um, you know, from him that, you know, he was doing this little side hustle and he said, oh, you know, I'm selling this little product. And I was like, oh, that's, you know, that's really cool. I was thinking, you know, two, three here, eBay kind of, you know, selling some stuff around the house. And then he started telling me, you know, I'm selling, you know, quite a few. I'm like, how many? He's like, well, a hundred a day. And I was like, a hundred a day. And I was like, well, how much are you making per piece? And he's like, you know, somewhere between six and seven dollars. I'm like, six and seven dollars, a hundred a day. I'm like, six hundred dollars. I started with about like, you're gonna make, you know, this much. And he's like, yep. I'm like, okay, wait, hold on, start over again. Like, wait, what are you doing? And so it kind of spun off from there. Nice. Yeah. When you start doing those numbers, like six hundred times thirty days. Wait, eighteen. You're making eighteen grand profit per month. <laughs> I'm going to jump into this. Yep. And that's basically what happened. So how did you get going though? I mean, well, let me ask you this. How much money did you start with? Okay. So I started with, I was the, I think the classic, like, can I start with less than a thousand and jump into this? And, uh, and I did cause I you know, didn't have a lot of funds at the time and just found some little skew and, um, I kind of messed up and I used a product that had some IP attached to it. And I ended up getting that product closed and I didn't even realize that there was a patent on something I was using it was just something really generic seeming and but it got me enough to give me a little bit of runway and so i went through and modified the product so i wasn't violating a patent um and just made a couple changes and you know only took a couple thousand to do that and started selling that well and then it just kind of grew and grew from there um but we have taken on additional capital um to be able to get to those numbers we didn't in 18 months we, we didn't do it organically with just reinfusing cash we actually had to take out a line of credit yeah. How much was that line of credit? Uh, well, we have an open line of credit for a million, but we haven't used it all. Okay. And that's just a traditional lending, like through your bank? Um, yeah. I mean, it's through, uh, yeah, it's through a, a, like a private specialty bank that we have. And it's just yeah, an open revolving line of credit for the million. Were you able to get that pretty easily 
being that you were a new company or was this company already running for a while so you were able to do it easier? Um, it was easier just because of the fact that we have quite a bit of inventory. So there's a lot of money associated with that. And then we also just have some business contacts that for recommendations that really helped us to get that line of credit, having, you know, kind of who you know really makes a difference. And we went to a specialty bank, so it's not like you have to talk to a teller and then somebody else and somebody else. We, you know, the people you work with are decision makers. Right. Yeah. So and that's always the hardest part, right? In the beginning is that capital and yeah, having enough inventory to buy what you need. How much was your product? How much were you buying it for? Or your landed cost? What was it? For that initial one that I started with a long time ago. Uh-huh. And what were you selling it for? Let's see. I pay about three something a unit and we sell it for like 14. And so, and that was just a small product, you know, that was the whole, you know, fits in a shoe box kind of thing. And and ship over. And it was just really, you know, just that typical product you hear about when you're getting in. We've moved away from that style a lot now. And, you know, and we're launching very, very different style of products now, uh, you know, 18 months later. So this was all FBA at the time? Yes. And we're still 100% FBA. 100%. And you're all private label, is that right? Everything's yours? Correct. Okay. When you say you're moving away from what you were doing, what do you mean by that? Um, just basically, the mentality used to be, let's find an untapped niche something that nobody's found and let's go into that and kind of exploit that. But we found that that's just kind of a waiting game until other people find that niche that you're in. And so now we're basically trying to find larger barriers of entry. So for instance, now we're selling a product that's 70 pounds um, and costs us over $50 a unit. So, uh, you know, to get two containers just to start, which is not even enough inventory, we had to lay out about $70,000 just on a first run of units, which, you know, kind of puts us to where we think we're a little more protected that somebody can't just spend 500 or $1,000 and get some expressed overnight. Yeah, that's really smart. It's something we've talked about in previous podcasts, getting away from, as you just mentioned, you know, something small, light that can fit in a shoebox. You know, that's something that Scott Volker was, I think the guy that was teaching this initially to everybody and getting into something big and heavy because people, they can't afford it. It costs way too much to ship at VXpress Express Air typically. And yeah, your competition drops, I would imagine substantially, right? There's very few people that are competing with you. Yeah, there are very few. And um, yeah, nobody can enter it overnight because, you know, we spent four months, you know, we went to China and got it designed and worked on it. And then, you know, a month for production, you know, another month for shipping and receiving. And so it's a longer process that, and somebody, you know, a lot of new players aren't gonna just spend 50,000 plus on their first product. It's only gonna be an experienced seller um, you know, who would do that. And so I think a lot of people find that if you enter those cheap products, somebody hears about it from their neighbor or whether their friend and they just say, I'm going to try it. They order a bunch of spatulas. The person realized it doesn't work and now they liquidate them all at, you know, half their cost. And so how do you compete with somebody who's willing to take a 50% loss in that category? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So obviously you're you're sending everything over by sea. Who do you use for a freight forwarder or do you do handle that yourself? Um, no, we have like a broker who handles everything. So from, you know, from basically we talk to the, the, our manufacturer and then we just get our teller broker and they have, you know, Chinese contacts and they uh, get in contact with those factories there, arrange the shipments and bring them over. And then we have a warehouse here in um, outside of Los Angeles and then they have everything freighted to us. Okay. So this is your own personal warehouse that you guys have created? Uh-huh. Yes. Oh, nice. Okay. Tell us about that. How did that get started? Um, so, well, basically it's actually my dad. He had a warehouse that he was using for like a baseball facility for my brother. And then my brother graduated high school and everything. And, you know, and that baseball facility was just being used by, you know, other teams and coaches. And he said, you know, Hey, I wouldn't be opposed to the idea. Now that your business is, you know, you can't fit it in your house anymore. Um, using that. So we moved into, it's about 7,000 square feet. The warehouse is 7,000 square feet. Yes. Okay, cool. And then so you bring everything into your warehouse and then 
do you store it there and only send in what you need to Amazon? Or is that just kind of like the landing place where it needs to go and, and it immediately goes to Amazon once it gets here? No, we definitely store here. You know, I don't know, if, especially with you've seen the the storage costs in November and December being almost what, three to four X of, of typical that we find that it's a lot cheaper to, to store them ourselves than it is to ship direct to Amazon because those storage fees just go through the roof. And then also, you know, if there's ever a problem with the SKU or anything like that, you don't have to recall all of your stuff or say, you know, customers complain about something. If you want to update and fix and change, if it's all on hand, it's really easy to do comparatively. Yeah. Are you by your warehouse now? Uh, yes. I think I can hear forklifts and things backing up. And <laughs> Yeah, it's, 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 I thought it was far enough away that you could. No, it's cool. In case you guys are wondering, guys, that's why you hear that. So guys hustling. So perfect. So what category are you mainly selling in these big products? Um, we have, you know, we're in quite a few different categories. We're in home and garden and uh, outdoors, kitchen, uh, sports. Um, what else are we in? Baby, pet. So we're in quite a few. You're all over. Yeah. Yeah. So first we just kind of were just, Hey, that looks good. Let's do that. Hey, that looks good. Let's try that. And it didn't really matter if they weren't related or not. But then once we realized we have, Hey, we have 10 SKUs all working really well. We can, now we can do, you know, size variations, color variations, you know, a higher quality product, lower quality. And so now we're just from each of those, maybe original 10. Now we can do five or six versions of each of those 10. Nice. How many new SKUs would you say you're adding every X amount of time, like every month or, or year? My partner and I were like, we said, we just merged everything about three months ago and we got that line of credit. And so that's kind of changed everything. So we've, you know, spent about four to 500,000 in the last three months. So things are just been crazy right now. Like the warehouse, I can't even walk in. We're having to use, you know, third-party logistics for receiving and warehousing because we can't fit everything. So we're launching in December, I think like, like 12 new SKUs, but um, some of them are variations, but we were launching about, but about six, five or six of them are completely brand new independent SKUs of everything else. Do you find that launching variations and using, you know, the existing power of that parent product, you know, that's already got all the reviews is that beneficial to you versus coming out with a product on its own? Because I've heard people, you know, say it both ways. Yeah, I think we're kind of trying to balance it because if you say you have a product ranked really well and it only comes in black and you're like, man, brown would do really well too. It's pretty easy to throw brown on, but you might only get 20% of your sales. Um, as opposed to if you have a new brand new SKU, you could maybe get 80% of that number one. So we try to balance it. Um, a lot of it comes down to is how many suppliers we want to deal with in supply chains that if we can just say, Hey, just throw in 3000 more of, you know, the Brown color, mm -hmm. it's pretty easy and it doesn't take a lot of our time. And so it's like, why not? Um, kind of thing. Um, and then we kind of, you know, some of our products, maybe you want 10 of your own products on ideally on page one out of 15 listings. It'd be great. Cause now it looks like when somebody searches you, this is the go-to brand. Look, like if you look at, um, what is it? Inflatable mattresses on Amazon. I like, there's one brand that in, they're all on page one, basically. And so anybody shopping for it thinks, okay, which one of this brand am I going to pick? Um, and so we'd like to do that. So it's a balance between just sharing the listing versus creating brand new listings. And I don't know the best answer. Right. So if you're doing variations, then you're not going to have those 10 out of 15 listings is what you're saying. Correct. But you can just have them up the next day. You don't have to do new listings. You don't have to get more reviews, rankings or anything, but you don't benefit from being the brand on the page. Right. Yeah, that's important. So yeah, you got to figure it out. That's where we're at as well. We're trying to figure out, we have some really big brands and we're like, mm, should we add a variation and just go with, you know, products that have over a thousand reviews or do we start fresh and try to build it up? So there's some techniques out there, but let me ask you about the shipping. I'm curious about this. You guys are shipping over in containers, right? 
Yes. You're using 20 foot, 40 foot? What do you guys typically ship in? Um, well, generally what we try to do is just see about what our quantity needs to be. We'll, you know, we'll run a, we try to look at maybe the second or third most popular item. You know, if we wanted to sell like uh, those mattresses, we'd say, um, you know, we, we don't think we're going to be number one. We think we can be maybe three or four. How much is number three or four selling? Oh, they're selling a thousand a month. And we know we need about a 90 day supply, a month to produce it, a month for the ocean, and then a month to start selling it and see how it goes. So we'll say if they're selling a thousand a month, um, we need 90 day supply. We need to order 3000. So we'll just kind of say, how big is, you know, how big is the product? Does a 3000 fit in a 20 footer? Does a 3000 fit in a 40 footer? Yeah. Um, and just kind of go. So the one product we ordered that was really big at, we would have needed four full containers and we're like, well, we can't really do four 45 foot containers on go number one. So we kind of got a little scared and did two. Um, but in general, we're doing just a, a 40 HQs. 40 HQs. What's it cost typically to get something from your factory landed into your warehouse? Um, for my estimates, I like to use about two grand for a 20 foot and four grand for a 40 foot just to make it really round. Well, that's pretty low. Is that all fees? Uh-huh. Yeah, we, we don't have any duties on any of our products. Generally, we try to avoid any because I know that some products have like 150% on certain things. Um, but, but yeah, we find shipping, uh, the shipping alone is normally only like eight or $900 of it. And then it seems like getting it from the port to my warehouse is they charge us 600 more and then dock fees and congestion fees. Dock fees, palletizing, all, everything, right? Or do you have that all done before it even gets shipped out to you? We don't palletize. Um, that would be a lot more expensive. We, we do it ourselves in-house. So we just get the full container and hand unload it. Okay. All right. I'm actually looking for some new freight forwarding companies just to compare because some of the, we were looking at some 40 foot containers and they were like $9,000 to get them to Amazon. That's kind of the, you know, all the content. So I thought that was maybe, I'm sorry, 15,000, not 9,000, 15,000 for that, for the big ones. And I think 9,000 for a smaller one. Yeah, I guess there's probably some fees there that you have with shipping because they're getting it from the port all the way to Amazon, Yeah, you know, across the country. And so there might be some other fees there, but that could be a little bit higher. And ours vary, you know, so there's some days that are as low as three and as high as six. Okay. So it sounds like you're pretty busy. How many hours are you working each day? Uh, all day, every day. I'm full time. <laughs> How many hours would that be? So, I mean, I probably work a day, 10 hours a day at least, I'd say six days a week. Okay. So you're still getting good sleep. Yeah, I do. I, we have a new baby at home, so I try to get as much as, as I can. Nice. Let's go back earlier. You said that your first product actually had an issue, an intellectual property, or yeah, you, you had some kind of a patent issue, I think you said. When that happened, did they block that account on just that product? Was it a suspension? What happened there? They just blocked that specific product. They basically said, I, I created my own listing, so I wasn't jumping on anybody else's buy box. So I just had my own listing set up, and they just shut it down. So what'd you do with all that inventory? It's in the garbage. I wrote it off. <laughs> oh, you did? Okay. At first, I was like, I'm going to sell it. And it sat in my garage for months while I worked on new product and new product. And then suddenly, I just said, you keep saying you're going to get to it. And it's been six months. So I just wrote it off and it's gone. Yeah. It's tough, right? I mean, there's not much you can do if it's violating something unless you can somehow change it to where it's not. But if it's already made, it becomes difficult. I've heard companies actually deal with the manufacturer and, and work something out where they are allowed to sell it, but then they do some kind of a revenue share or split, but that's very rare. Yeah, that would have maybe been smart, but I think this guy who owned the patent, there was a bunch of us all selling it, so I thought it was fine, and I like 10 of them disappeared overnight, <laughs> listings. So how do you end up finding your new products nowadays? Yeah, it's 18 months later, things have changed quite a bit, even 12 months. I've been doing this for just over a year, and it's massively different. What do you do? How are you guys finding stuff? Um, you know, I, I, it's hard to say. I think we're just, you know, in the everyday world, you kind of come into contact with stuff and just think maybe that would be a good idea, and 
I mean, just to give you an idea, I was at Costco and I saw like uh, those like little medical assist walkers and you're like, man, that isn't a pretty small box for how big of a product that is. And they have a price for 129. I'm like, I could ship that for cheap. Um, and so I'm like going home and looking up, I didn't, I haven't moved on it. Maybe it is good. I haven't really done anything with it. So, but it was just, you know, kind of that idea that we had there and right lately we've honestly been focusing on expanding our current product lines. Cause you know, if you say you sell drapes, you're like, well, suddenly I can sell ones that are, you know, pleated and patterned and, you know, dark light, and, you know, six foot, eight feet, 12 feet, you know, and suddenly now you've got 35 listings of drapes. Um, so there's just so much to go on. So I think that's kind of where we've kind of found, and then we can just naturally run into one or two products. I think that initial one is where you're just digging through listing after listing and scrape, you know, going to Alibaba, AliExpress, and that's the hard part. Is that where you get the majority of your suppliers and all your products is through Alibaba? Yeah, um, for the most part. Some of our best suppliers we found at the Canton Fair, we feel like we got really lucky um, that the, they weren't on Alibaba. Um, so there was some value there. So you recommend people go to the Canton Fair every year? Um, we went once and it was, you know, I didn't, it wasn't my favorite vacation of all time, but uh, it was really useful because we knew what we were looking for and there's a lot of suppliers there and we found people and we were able, you know, there's, Canton fairs in phases. So we went to phase two and three and between phase two and three, there's like a three day period. So we met people at the beginning of phase two, um, gave them our designs. They made it. We went to their factory during the break and went and inspected the units and updated them. And then, um, we're able to, you know, find, have samples made, visit factories and everything all during that, the 10 days we were there. Okay. Yeah. I'm definitely looking forward to going. I haven't been yet, but you said it wasn't your favorite vacation. It was (laughs) something bad happened. It's just, it's a little, no, nothing bad. It's just a little crazier for me than, than my, than my, my taste just with the, the cab drivers and the smells and everything. It was just it was the food. It was just, uh, it was, it was all foreign, all different. Yeah. All different. So when you went to Canton, did you go with appointments already set up to meet specific people or, or did you find these gems just by kind of walking through and, and talking to vendors? Um, we had a couple set up and then a couple actually bailed on us last minute. I think a supplier said, uh, our big, one of their biggest customers basically, I guess, heard about us and pushed us out of the deal and they didn't want us supplying us. And, uh, so we were like kind of scrambling last minute, a bunch of the stuff we had set up kind of fell through and, uh, we had a couple that were there, but a lot of it, we just found on the spot people we didn't even know about at all until we were there. And I think we were using three suppliers that we found there and I mean, you know, to, have samples made and be able to check, you know, a 70 pound product, it would have cost us, you know, hundreds of dollars to ship a sample. I mean, probably cheaper to go there, go meet people, find people, go to the factory and check them than it is just to ship a sample back and forth three times. Yeah. Do you use an inspection company for all your products that before they ship out here? We do. Yes. Yeah. We, we make sure to always have everything inspected beforehand. Okay. Do you care to mention who that is or do you want to keep that private? Um, we, we go back and forth. There's that, um, the really famous one, I think it's called V trust. Um, I'm not sure if you know them. I I just want to make sure I'm saying the right name. They're like the the biggest one at the Canton fair. They probably have a hundred agents around the, I mean, they're everywhere and they're pretty reputable, but they're pretty expensive. I think they're closer to $400 for an inspection. So when we have like a, this, you know, $70,000 order, we spend the 400. Yeah. It makes sense. But sometimes when it's just a little small, like making sure that they updated our cartons the way that we wanted and everything's still smooth on a third order, we'll send in somebody that does like a hundred dollar inspection. And it's just mainly because they send like 80 pictures. So 
it's just a nice way to get all that updated into us. Yeah, it's absolutely worth every penny, I would say. You're going to find problems uh, that you didn't find. One of my very first products was a toy product. And <laughs> I remember getting or actually having it shipped to Amazon directly because the samples were great and I never did an inspection on it. And the products had like hair and debris and stuff inside the toys. You know, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is not good. Did they charge you extra for the hair? Or? <laughs> yeah, you know what? It was free. It was a bonus. It was nice. That is nice. So yeah, yeah it, was, it was kind of crazy. But so you said you went there, you talked to them, you gave them your design. So are you doing your own molding and that kind of stuff in China? Uh, yeah, we do. We don't do like from scratch. We're not like inventing anything. Um, so what we're typically doing is, you know, taking something that somewhat exists and then, you know, kind of reinventing the wheel a little bit, you know, or kind of trying to better mousetrap something. But normally we do, you know, we have, a, you know, products that have a setup fee of a thousand, two thousand, five hundred, you know, somewhere in there type dollars just, just to get started with a mold or um, for some custom manufacturing. Are you just giving them the basic ideas or are you actually providing like, you know, serious specifications? You have it all set up through a 3D program. Um, I've done that once, the, the whole CAD and going that route, but it's, it was much more difficult uh, than I anticipated it to do, you know, even with those designs, because different manufacturers have different capabilities, you know, to produce different bends in metal and uh, you know, different technologies and whatever, you know, one company might have a machine that can do, you know, a, but different company doesn't have that machine. Um, and so that was hard. So we've kind of leaned more on, you know, kind of napkin sketches and saying, look, this is what we want to get out of here. You tell us how you can get this done. Uh, um, what's the most economical way. And do you think it's possible? And if we have, and with our good suppliers, it, you know, they, they're pretty good about that. And we have some other ones that trying to do that is, is a nightmare because they there is no originality or inventiveness but other ones they're like yeah i see what you're talking about and they'll you know make samples send us pictures we'll say no not quite like that and they'll get back to us and say how about like this and say, okay great let's do that how are you launching your products now now with the incentivized reviews being you know illegal essentially you got a big product an expensive product what do you do if you're not a variation how do you get that thing going you know, that's like the million dollar question right now. And, and, you know, and we're not even a hundred percent sure. We're just, we're in the, the testing phase, I guess you could call it. And we have all of those new SKUs about to come out. And so we're really having to figure it out. Um, you know, one of the most basic ways right now is just, um, to drive sales with price and PPC, um, you know, and it's hard because the review rate is maybe somewhere around three or 4% with a, you know, with an email program, follow-up program where you're, you know, soliciting those reviews. But you can drive the sales um, off the get-go if you have, you know, a $50 product and everybody's selling it for 50 or 60 and you come in at, you know, break even or willing to lose five or 10 bucks um, just to get that momentum going. That's kind of what we have, you know, kind of tried to do. Makes sense. So you're driving a lot of traffic through pay-per-click. You're putting the price at a, you're reducing, you're just putting it at a sale price. You're not using coupons or anything like that to drop the price. Is that what you're doing? Correct. Yep. How long do you run it? like that before eventually getting to your full price? Um, it, mainly we base it on our rank. We have targets of where we want to be ranked for our, you know, our keyword results. And we'll take kind of as long as it needs to get there because the main thing I found to being able to sell well and at a high price is having a good organic rank. Um, and it's kind of a compounding effect because if you have that good organic rank, you keep getting more sales. So you keep getting more reviews and you keep you know, getting more traffic and then your, your long tail keywords keep getting better because more people are seeing you from different keywords and, and it kind of just helps. But if 
you're just sitting on page two and just holding at that price, you, you know, you might start going the opposite way where your sales start to slip because your price, you had to raise your price. And now you ranked on page three and now your sales slip more. And it's just kind of a never ending cycle. Yeah. It's spiraling effects. So do you go after a certain number of keyword phrases initially, or is it just like one main keyword phrase? What do you focus on? Yeah. We normally focus on like our main keyword phrase. Every, every product we have, we'll kind of say, okay, what, you know, ideally, what do we want to be ranked for? And then we'll set up, you know, attract another 10 additional keywords on top of that and kind of see where our trend is going. And then we make sure that we're ranked for, you know, we want to be ranked for a few thousand words, a um, few thousand keywords, just, you know, long tail and everything. But we try to put, we'd like to be on at least on page one for our main word. Um, and then towards the top of um, page one for our secondary words on all of our products. Um, I mean, really, we want to be on, you know, number one on all of them, but it's, it's hard to do. <laughs> right. What do you think separates you guys from your competitors when you're launching products or even, you know, three, four months after you've launched? Why are people buying you? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think that we're, uh, we're aggressively priced. I think that Amazon is a very price sensitive marketplace, which is, you know, tough to do. You know, if we want to release like a premium product, I think it's really difficult. So we're, we understand that we're not trying to be the best of everything because now we're going to be 50% more expensive. So we need to be competitive in our price. And then, you know, we have good relationships with our manufacturers. And so we try to make sure our star ratings and our quality is there. and Our follow-up is there. Um, we have really solid listings. You know, people talk about just the basics of bullet points and photography and all of that is really on point with and then we make sure that all their branding is included and, you know, it's really good with all the products and packaging is everything. So we just hope that there's a, a good process the entire way there for the customer. Um, and then the other thing is I think we're, we're good at, um, you know, kind of carving out a space in, in every product that we sell. You know, if, like I said, you know, if you're selling a product, let's say, I don't know, I, said, I mentioned curtains earlier, you might notice everybody's selling eight foot, but you know, there's some demand for 10 foot. So maybe you come out with a really nice, you know, 10 foot long curtain or whatever it is. And so that kind of gives you an easier way to get some sales right off the bat because you're not competing with everybody else, even though you're in that strong category. Okay. All right. Interesting. What do you think? I mean, you probably look at a lot of listings. What are some of the biggest mistakes you see people making? Um, some of the biggest mistakes I would say the number one mistake I would say is that people, they're not focusing on their, um, their keyword ranks that they're focusing on things like BSR and, and things like that. When BSR is just, it's just a relative ranking, you know, of course, when you lower your price, your BSR goes, you know, lower and you, cause you're selling more, you know, and when you raise your price, you're selling less, it, it doesn't mean much. It's only to compare yourself to other sellers. If you want to be able to be at the top, you need to figure out how am I going to get to the top of my, my page in my keyword? Um, because anything else you do, fixing your listing, retaking your pictures, um, just changing words in your bullet points, worrying about these little tiny things is not going to fix it for you. The question you always need to answer is how do I get ranked better? And I see a lot of people focusing on so many other things like, well, I'm going to start, you know, going to other platforms. I'm going to start trying to drive traffic, you know, other that just don't work. And I say, just what are you doing to move up your ranks? And the main way to do that is volume, but they're not focusing on how they're converting, you know, run PPC to those keywords, you know, drive traffic to those things. Um, make sure that you're priced, you know, effectively um, at the beginning. If you can't afford to be, if you, if you say I need to be priced at $60 to make money and you want to be at $60 day one, it's going to be really tough when you have three reviews and somebody else has 800 and they're priced at the same price. Yeah. 
Do you handle all your launches yourself or do you use services out there that do that for you? Um, we used to use services before, back when it wasn't banned or um, up in the air. So, but now we, we do all of our launches ourselves. Okay, cool. So, wow, there's a lot of good information. Thank you. I think people will appreciate, you know, where you came from, you know, especially being 18 months old. It's not like you've been doing this for five years on Amazon and it seems like you've got everything nailed down pretty well. We've, yeah, I think one of our biggest things is, you know, I enjoy having a partner because we, you know, sometimes we'll spend like three hours in one day just discussing like, well, how can we do this new launch? You know, what process is going to work best? And then we record and, and, you know, and write down, you know, okay, well, we launched at this price with this many units and, you know, we did this type of advertising. We tried a Facebook campaign, like, okay, how did that all play out? What worked, what didn't work? And we're always trying to experiment. And I think that that's one of the things that successful sellers are able to do and is to is to try to be on like the cutting edge when changes happen, they can be an, an advantage because everybody else is kind of left behind. And so that's something we really try hard to do. And we're not great at it and perfect at it, but, but we, we do always want to be able to have that new information and those new techniques and those new strategies where other people have been doing it the same way since, you know, just dumping, you know, super URLs and 5,000 you know, sales into that same super URL was their only way of doing it. Now they're kind of hung out to dry. Yeah. How'd you meet your partner, by the way? Uh, we were friends in high school. We, we had a job together in high school and uh, met each other and then just stayed friends and went to college and were roommates and went our separate ways kind of, and then kind of got back together about a you know, year and a half ago. Awesome. So 18 months, right? If you could go back 18 months, okay, meet yourself just before you start this business, what advice would you give yourself? You know, I've actually thought about that one. That was a little bit easier question for me than the, than the last one about the, how we differentiate ourselves. but. I think the few things I would give myself is one is um, um, I think there's some dangerous mentality out there that that paying for information is a negative that you should never pay for information. And I think I was a little bit scared to be willing to you know sign up for a course and they're like, well, there's that you can get that information for free. But I didn't know that I, I had to dig for months and, and you know, hundreds of hours. I could have just maybe paid for a mentor, or a coach here or there. And sure, they may have only, you know, had. 10 good things, but 10 good things is a lot of, you know, information out there. I mean, your podcast probably helps a lot of people. Um, and I think I was a little bit scared and my business partner, he already had a successful business. He you know, I was, you know, I'm going to drive everything to the UPS store myself and I'm going to compare 10 different quotes on shipping. He's like, dude, it's $5 difference. Just do it. Let's move on to the business. Focus on, you know, focus on your business. Stop focusing on these little things. And I think that helped me, um, a lot was to just stop saying, focusing on every single little penny and just focus on big picture and growth and realize, wow, like saving $2 here, means nothing. When I just launched three new products in that time I spent. Great advice. Yeah. So don't get stuck with the small things, move forward, take action, get things going. Yeah. So perfect. Awesome, man. Well, anything you want to add that we didn't cover? Cause we had a lot of things. Yeah. It was a little bit, um, you know, all over the place, but, uh, <laughs> I like those kinds of podcasts though, because I think, you know, as we're talking, things pop in my mind and I'm hoping that as people are listening, you know, they're like, oh, he just mentioned this. Well, what about this? So I could probably keep this going for like two hours. We talked about this before the podcast. I'm like, we're, at one point we have to shut it off. But yeah, I love these conversations where nothing's really planned. Yeah, no, it works for me. I don't think I, you know, um, you know, I, I enjoy the conversations. I enjoy meeting people. I'm, you know, I'm in your Facebook group. I follow it all. So I, I think there's always something more to learn. Yeah, and you're just down the road, so I think you're less than 45 minutes away. We'll have to meet up one of these days. Perfect. Appreciate it. So, well, thank you for coming on the show, Jeff. I appreciate it.
You've been listening to the AM PM podcast hosted by Manny Coates. For more information, insider, insider tools, tools, and to get the resources mentioned in this episode, visit ampmpodcast.com.